Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Sainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> you said it more like a question that time. Oh, you're right. Greetings, well, greetings. I, was, I was, I almost, well, never mind. I was going to say greetings, freaks, because I was watching Madagascar yesterday. But, you know, <laughs> that, that lemur cracks me up. Freaks. <laughs> I feel like calling you a lemur now. Now on <laughs> John Palmer, the lemur of the brewing industry. Greetings, lemurs. Yeah, somebody somebody asked how you got the nickname Rock Candy. Yeah, I don't even I don't even remember. I mean, it was just came up one time. You said I was um, hard, sweet, and sticky. Hard. Yeah, <laughs> I think Jamil like was Rock in candy, a, baby. a dehydrated <laughs> state of confusion. <laughs> no, I think I think we were driving in uh, from my house and. Uh, Maybe that song came on the air or something while we're driving in or something, and then I just it. brought it up. <laughs> I just gave you the nickname during the show. I think it was on that show. I think I was running the board for that show. <laughs> I remember when John Palmer wasn't called Rock Candy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great song. It is. And a great nickname. It is good. <laughs> I like it. It's awesome. It is awesome. It's better than dog meat. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it is at that. Yeah, there you go. So you should be happy. But you know, it's I mean, but dog meat said with such affection, though. <laughs> dog meat. Yeah. I like dog meat. I started watching Sling Blade the other day. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you warming up your uh, your reed War- chops? You're warming up my uh, yeah. For, for my reads. <clears throat> well, and uh, speaking of uh, warming up, uh, Palmer, you're heading down to Brazil, huh? Yeah, I'll be heading down to Brazil June 5th for a week to attend one of their uh, homebrewing conferences. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun. I talked to Gordon Strong about it in a little bit and um, gave me some uh, couple names of some, some beers and some people I can expect to meet. And it should be cool. Huh? Any of them prostitutes? No, I don't believe so. That's too bad. <laughs> Depends on how they taste, though. It might might be similar to that. Who knows? Right. I doubt it. All right. Well, I suppose it'll be it'll be winter down there, huh? Yeah, but I mean, well, so I I, I, somehow equator, I just can't it? picture I can't picture Brazil being that far from the equator, right? But uh, so where are you going, Rio? Uh, Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo. Very nice. Very nice. Let me know how the cocoa leaves are down there. I'll do that. <laughs> Bring some back. <laughs> okay. Take an extra empty suitcase. It'll be yeah. okay. 
It's Thomas I Hobbes. I get it. I get it. Not cocoa, but coca, huh? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Well, I may be a little slow, but <laughs> I've been around. Well, I'll tell you who also has been around, but isn't very slow. Blickman Engineering. There we go. Yes, they are. <laughs> been around, I mean. Yeah. They've been, that John Blickman, he's been around. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, he's also one heck of a guy. Uh, runs a great company, and when I'm talking about, uh, you know, being on the ball, they are, uh, when it comes to, you know, product quality, customer service, it's a great company, great bunch of guys. They uh, are innovating your homebrew, according to JP. Isn't that right, JP? What's that? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. They're, they're innovating homebrew. Oh, they're innovating homebrew. They're innovating your homebrew yeah. since uh, about 2008. Since 1969, yeah. yes. Absolutely. No, they're, uh, the, the cool thing about Blickman Engineering, you go and check out their website, uh, see them at the Homebrewers Conference and, and other places they might be, and they've got the neatest gear. They're always coming out with new stuff, and it's not just stuff to be stuff. You know, sometimes you go and you, you, you see some of the new homebrew gear that's out there, yeah, and you're just like, what the heck? You know, how how is this useful, beneficial? Who thought that this would help in any way? It's there just to be there. Right. It's just right. somebody came up with, you know, somebody just came up with an idea in there and just, oh, homebrewers will pay for this. Right. Blickman Engineering, it's all stuff that they engineer to make the brewing processes better and more efficient or easier to do, more repeatable. And they actually use the equipment. They test it. They, you know, they make sure that what they're trying to do is actually beneficial before they go ahead and sell the equipment. So yeah. it's really cool. They like, they like to build better mousetraps. Right, right, right. Innovating your mousetrap. Yes. Absolutely. Since 1943. Since 1943. Blickman Engineering. Check them out. Blickman with two N's, engineering.com on the web. And uh, tell them we sent you. Tell them, uh, tell them thanks for sponsoring the show for such a long time. You may not even get hung up on Right, like you would if you called in here. <laughs> right. I mean, that's going to happen. All right. Uh, today we're doing a live Q&A show. So uh, if you're listening to one of these, you wonder, well, how can I get my questions answered? Well, a couple of ways. One, it's a live show, so you can go to the brewing, the brewingnetwork.com. Easy for me to say. Yeah. And uh, click on the Listen Live, and then there's a chat now, and the chat now gets you into... Um, a, a chat session with other people listening, and JP's you know watching the the chat session, and he you can ask him questions about the uh, for the show, and he'll uh, feed them to us if they're not uh, absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> even if they're absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. A lot of times, uh, you gotta have fun know. every now and then. Yeah, and then uh, if you can't listen live, you can, uh, or even if you can, you can email to uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork dot com, and we will get those uh, questions. Just uh, title them with Q&A, and we'll know that they're for a Q&A show. And we'll go ahead and answer those questions as quickly as we can. That's right. And we've had a bunch of really good questions lately. Right. Yeah. And some that may not get repeated. All right. Uh, <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. Why are you bringing that up? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm nothing. That never happened. It never happened. No. Well, and let's let's start off with one, uh, one question, and then... Uh, We'll go from a break from there. All right. This is from Gnome in Israel. 
says, hi, John and Jamil. Gnome's in Alaska. Let me just clarify that for you, JP. Oh, man. Well, he said Israel in caps, so it can't be wrong. Uh, he has a question about kegging. He says, I've recently acquired a used CO2 tank from an aquarium hobbyist. I, it came with a regulator that seemed to be meant for welding. It has two gauges. One shows the pressure in the tank and reads in bar, and the other shows the regulator output. This one reads in liters per minute. Do you think I can use this for kegging? Could I just change the second gauge to one that has that one that reads in PSI? Searched online, but couldn't find anything conclusive. Thanks for the great shows. Love brewing classic styles. Cool. <laughs> it sounds like a, a flow regulator. Mm. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I guess uh, you know. I, essentially, you want to set up for um, you know pressure, regulating mm-hmm. pressure, but. I would think, I mean, I, I had bought a, uh, a welding regulator myself mm-hmm. when I when I first got my uh, Kagan's equipment. And uh, while mine wasn't set up for flow, you know, I, I, in other words, I, I didn't have the same gauge as he does on his, but mm-hmm. given the fact that they're both CO2 regulators, um, I don't see any reason why you couldn't just swap out the gauge itself because, you know, the regulator's adjustable. Um, yeah. You can, it'll read, you know, the pressure and right. you know, but the, somehow, the pressure in the tank and the pressure that you're dispensing. I mean, we, here we're sounding like idiots, but the, um, that, if it's saying liters per minute, it's actually measuring flow of the gas, not the pressure of the gas. So there's some way that it's doing that versus i mean i I guess if you assume an open end and um you know a given pressure then it could be just calculating flow off of that which is inaccurate yeah Um, that's true but i I guess it could be like that otherwise and then you know and then swapping it out with just a regulated reads in psi would be fine if it's just an open open chamber to that thing but if it's something that is actually reading flow then you can't just swap out the gauge but generally your first stage regulator your first stage can be separated from whatever that might be that's doing that and you can do that i, right. I don't know right. uh, um if he just, is in israel then he'd probably be looking for a regular red and um kilopascals right <laughs> yeah maybe could he just convert, like just do math? You know, there's yeah. convert. You well, can convert bars to PSI. Well, but is yeah, it an accuracy but, issue at that point? Right. But as Jamil says, the, your, the flow rate versus static pressure. Oh, right. And it depends on. I, guess I, I mean, know. how many how many bar that thing is reading? Bar, you know, it's essentially 15 psi. Mm. So, one one bar, one atmosphere. Right. So. Yeah. Um, it depends on, you know, what you need is a low pressure, a reduction from high pressure down to low, and then the ability to read that pressure. So I'm not sure what kind of regulator he has. It's, you know, maybe it's controlling flow and not, you know, pressure. If it, you know, if the pressure keeps climbing, but it shouldn't. It should be set to a certain pressure. Yeah. yeah. You should be able to take it to a welding shop and they should be able to tell them right off. Yeah. Right. You know, kilopascals. Um, you know, getting both gauges to read in kilopascal should be, you know, they should be able to say whether it can be done or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you can use the the um, chart and the appendices of Brewing Classic Styles to 
equate those kilopascals to uh, PSI, you know, and CO2 volumes in the beer. There you go. There's your answer. I love it. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, more of your questions after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the Intuitive Beer Gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weldless thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The Auto Sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. BN Army, Hop Tech has a great discount waiting for you. Do you often find it difficult to find specific specialty ingredients for your homebrew recipes? Well, listen to this. Hop Tech stocks 59 different grains to choose from, 39 varieties of pellet hops, and 8 kinds of holy pops. And Hop Tech not only carries Y yeast and White Labs yeast for you, but also Fermentus, 04, 5, 6, 23, 33, and T58 Belgian yeast, plus Cooper's Nottingham and Windsor yeasts. Got your recipe ready to go? Pick up some great brew gear like new long and short sleeved shirts, games, and more. HopTech's new website is being updated every day with new items. If you don't see it, call the shop. They're open six days a week. BN Army and AHA members get a 10% discount, and active military personnel get 15% off. Visit HopTech.com today for great selection, great service, and a great discount. HopTech.com. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're doing uh, live Q&A. We're taking your questions, answering them here on the air. So uh, you don't have to go to the back alleys and get deals with bad people to get your questions answered. <laughs> but you can if you want to. You can if you want to, but, you know, this is probably easier. You do this from the comfort of your own couch. It's true. Which is what we prefer. All right, next question, JP. Next question is about Belgian beer sweetness from Catfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some questions about Belgian. I Bel- don't think Catfish yes. adds sweetening ah, to beer. Okay, solved. Next question. Uh, no, uh, this is from Catfish. He says, I have some questions about Belgian beer sweetness. Mm-hmm. With a lot of the finer Belgian beers, they have an initial sweetness in the aroma and flavor, but they finish dry and very drinkable. Mm-hmm. This is not unfinished fermentation-related sweetness, but delicious, good sweetness. Jamil, you had talked a bit about this character in the Beer to Guard show, but said you didn't quite understand how to achieve this in your own beers. I was hoping that you could talk more about this and anything you've learned, especially how to work this into our brewing. Thanks from Catfish. Well, you know, a lot of it is um, fermentation derived. It's it's not um, so it's a combination of things. It's the kinds of sugars that remain behind. One affects sweetness, and it's also um, <clears throat> uh, 
the alcohol sweetness. So alcohols can be sweet, they can be bitter, they can be fruity, they can be all sort have all sorts of characteristic flavors. And I think you know, in a fine Belgian beer, um, a lot of times it's a little of both. Where um, uh, you know, sometimes some simple sugars are left over, and they've got some sweetness, and but it's not a whole lot of them. And then um, you get those alcohols that uh, have that kind of sweet note to them, but, you know, very dry. That's about it. Um, How you get it, uh, I think good fermentation practices, you you need to mess around. depends on the yeast, it depends on the wort, depends on, you know, a bunch of different factors. What I would do is, you know, start with known quantities of yeast, start with, you know, the same wort, and try, you know, different temperatures, try different, uh, you know, See how that works out. Try different oxygen levels. See how that works out. Try different pitching rates. See how that works out. But do each one individually. And eventually you should be able to dial it in to exactly what you're shooting for. All right. Sounds simple enough. I think we have a a question from the chat room. From guest 71803888. Nice. Um, How do you dry hop without using a secondary fermenter? With a hop bag... Are there any issues harvesting yeast from primary if you've dry hopped? And is it better to dry hop during cold crash? What can you tell our guest? Um, well, in my opinion, um, if you're going to do dry hopping and you're going to dry hop for a while, uh, you might want to go ahead and transfer the beer to a secondary to do if you're going to do a lot of dry hopping. That way you can get harvest your yeast and... Um, yeah, you don't have to worry about that, and you don't have to worry about the yeast uh, autolyzing um, while you're waiting for your dry hopping. I prefer dry hopping cold or colder around, you know, 62 is what we do at the brewery. And um, uh, I guess you could use a hot bag, um, but... Um, if you want to harvest your yeast, you probably should use a hot bag, right? Or you should know, you not harvest when you dry hop? I would, I would just you know collect the yeast first and go to a secondary. Yeah. But um, I mean, you can still go ahead and collect the yeast after you dry hop. Um, yeah, it just depends on uh, your method of collection. If it's in a carboy and you know they're all on top of each other and you're going to pour it out then it's going to all get mixed up so yeah then you definitely want to use a bag but bags need to reduce the character that you get you know mm-hmm. a little bit okay yeah I mean I would I was thinking by a secondary you also include a keg right so yeah just rack, rack the beer to a keg and, and dry hop in the corny right yeah and you can do it in in the fridge you could you know I've dry hopped um, at lower temperatures too you know at, at serving temperatures and, you know, slightly different character. It takes a little longer, but, you know, it works out all right. Mm-hmm. So you can do that, too. The nice thing about that is you get to taste it as the hop character increases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the flavors change, too. It's not just, um, people think it's kind of a linear thing where, oh, you add these hops, and you get all the flavors of that hop is, you know, consistent, and it just gets more and more over time. It doesn't. You start out and you immediately get some characteristic of the hop. And you get that like that day. And then the next day, you know, maybe it's getting a little more intense and you're getting something else in there. And then the next day, you know, maybe some of that character drops and some other character comes on. And, you know, over time, 
you know, it can go from fruity to spicy or, you know, citrusy to spicy or you, know, you get, um, you know, just different characters. And sometimes, you know, you get multiple. Sometimes a character you like drops off. Sometimes it's added, additive. So, um, you know, time is really interesting on, on hopping and, and doing that with the keg, like John's saying, and tasting it over time uh, really is quite interesting. Sounds very excellent. Uh, this is from Bill in lovely Murphy's, California. I like Murphy's. Friend worked at the Murphy's Hotel. What do you think of that? It's a little history lesson I just taught really? you. Is, uh, that, is the hotel brown? <clears throat> hotel's not brown. It's a very lovely uh, yellow color, I think, uh-huh. maybe now. Um, I think they have a really nice Chinese restaurant there, too. Anyways, Bill would like to know uh, about uh, depth of blow-off tube in the sanitized water. He says, uh, is the yeast attenuation or the height of the Krausen affected by the vertical depth of blow-off tubes submerged in sanitized water? The reason he's asking, uh, he says, it takes more pressure to blow through a tube that is one foot underwater vertically than it is for the same tube that is only one inch underwater. This means that there will be more back pressure in the fermentation chamber for the longer tube than the shorter tube. I would imagine it could make a difference, but to what degree? Is the difference nominal at these depths? At what depth or amount of back pressure would it be noticeable? And what difference would it make to the taste of the beer? He apologizes for the 21 questions, but he couldn't find anything on this topic, and he says he's new to brewing. That's from Bill in Murphy's. Coincidentally enough, my friend's name is Bill, who used to work at the Murphy's Hotel. Unrelated. (laughs) What do you think? Wow. Do you think it matters? I would say four feet is the noticeable difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Underwater. Just straight at the bottom. Well, that would, that, that would be seawater. Yeah. Um, so fresh water, probably more like 4.2 uh, or 3 feet. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? That it has no effect. No, on it, the, it, it, does. The it does. It does. Really? It, it, it does. It has. It's a real effect, but there's no way his dip tube should, or blow-off tube should be more than Quite deep a enough. few inches underneath the water. Right. So it should be immaterial. Well, and, you know, and, and seriously, I was calculating, okay, you get one atmosphere at every 33 feet, so, you know, a couple PSI would, would make a difference. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking, all right, four feet, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Um, I just don't throw these answers out without thinking <laughs> well, about it's it. Well, not, let's not jump to conclusion. Um, but, uh, like John's saying, you know, and, and the problem with having deep, um, your your siphon tube deep in, or your tubing deep inside liquid is <laughs> that sounds really weird. Yeah. Is that uh, if if uh, your carboy gets colder and starts drawing back, if you have a lot of liquid in there, it's going to pull all the way back into your fermenter. So you you usually only stick the tubing you know half inch or an inch under under the liquid, so it it can't fill the tubing with with liquid all the way back. That's right. Because you don't want that. All right, that's happened to me once. Um, I came back in to check on my uh, my fermentation deep in the liquid. (laughs) I had it went real deep, and uh, I came back and and it had it had stratified or whatever. You know, the star sand was on the top, and my ESB was on the bottom, so I was able to take a racking cane and just (laughs) suck it up like a wet vac. It's fine. (laughs) It was great. It was good beer. Tasted good. Oh Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we recommend. Yeah. <laughs> that was like ten years ago. Yeah. yeah, when just pretty much any beer you made tastes good, right? <laughs> yeah, not alcohol. Right. Good. right. 
Exactly. <laughs> oh, for a minute 75, it's a logger. Fuck it, who cares? It's going to be great. Um, <clears throat> okay, this has... Uh, wow, I don't even know what this is. It's a Tim question, but it, it's written in some weird foreign Australian language. Uh, good day, J, 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 and JP. Question. I cool my post-boil wort with a copper coil down to around 40 degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit. I then transfer it into a plastic container, push out the air, and then tighten the lid. I generally start the fermentation the next day, but not always. Are there any issues with these procedures? And then I have like a follow-up question. Well, let's see. Okay, if we compare this to the um, uh, the no-chill method that they use in Australia, mm-hmm. where you know you put it inside the uh, cube, cube mm-hmm. but it's boiling hot there, so you're kind of right. ensuring your sanitation, squeezing the air out, and then letting it chill down. Mm-hmm. He's taking it to 104, which is really still Less bacteria level. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so his sanitation better be really good if it's not gonna if he's not gonna get it lower till the next morning. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't do that. Um, especially uh, you know, there's in in something that's very uh, not very acidic like wort. Um, boy, you know, you can get all sorts of spores and stuff growing in there at that temperature. Not recommended. Right. I would, you know, it's, you know, probably the risk is, is minimal, but, um, you know, if you can go ahead and, and put it in at boiling like the other guys are doing, then I would, I think I would just stick with that if I was going to do the okay cube. Um, and he says, you also, you mentioned leaving your fermentation for two weeks before kegging or bottling. I always keg or bottle on day seven. 90% of the time, uh, he does ales. Uh-huh. Uh, do you recommend this procedure for the newer brewers? Which? His the, procedure uh, or our procedure? His procedure, I imagine. I mean, I wouldn't unless it's com- really completed fermenting. Now, if you're doing a lower alcohol ale, if you're doing like a, you know, a, a best bitter or something like that, or a mild or, you know, something a few percent alcohol and you're using like a British yeast that'll chew through it and drop clear real quick. Um, yeah, you can do it in seven days, but, um, you know, most home brewers are, are craft brewer, amateur craft brewers are not, um, doing that. They're, they're doing bigger alcohol beers, things like that. I would just let the yeast go all the way. I mean, there's no magic day when it's done. I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you there's there's always a certain date, that number of days when it's finished. That's never true. The reason we go two weeks is that, well, pretty much everything is done in two weeks. Yeah. You know, it's probably done at 10. And the beer started clear of it, too. Yeah. So. Or it's done at 7, or it's done at 10, or whatever. But you wait two weeks, oh, okay. By then, it's done. So that's kind of the theory. Okay. Um, and then he says, P.S. I always wear a hairnet when I brew. Just wondering if you wear a hairnet also, Jamil, as you are fairly anal. I, I don't wear an anal hairnet. <laughs> I don't even want to laugh at that, but I am. <laughs> uh, quick question from the chat. Quick question from the chat. So from Lenny Buzz. And remember, if you, uh, ladies, if you are in the chat and you have a question, PM me. My name is JP, and uh, I will read your question before the email question. That's the best way to get your question answered. Move to the head of the line. Uh, Lenny Buzz says, when doing a yeast starter, I usually let them go for about one to two days on the stir plate before using. But if I plan on chilling and decanting the spent beer before using it, should I let the starter go longer, and if so, how long? 
Is that always the question? Well, um, all right. So y- you want to make sure you get full growth, and then you also want to let the the yeast you know set for a bit and get yourself your the, 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 let them build up their glycogen reserves, and then go ahead and chill them. So it's generally it depends on how much yeast you put into how much wort is going to tell you how long it takes generally, but. Most of the time, within 12 to 18 hours, all the growth has happened, and generally within 48 hours, everything's finished. I, I, just wait, you know, if you see, you know, activity, you see bubbles, even with the stir plate, I mean, you see little fine CO2 bubbles and stuff like that, then it's the yeast is still working. As soon as that seems to stop, throw off the stir plate, let it settle for 12 hours, and then go ahead and put it in the uh, in the fridge, and then, you know, let all the yeast settle out overnight or a day or two and then decant and pitch yeast that's generally right. the best way it sounds like the best way to me the best practice it yes. does thanks Lenny for the question practice makes perfect uh, what do you think break time <laughs> sure wow at, I just, the, at the sound <laughs> of the tone I just leveled up on Mario Brothers it's time, time to take a break we'll be back after this Nico, listen, our lawyer said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months and to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Hell or High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in the can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the Home Brewed Chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your home brew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishev. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. 
Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read your way to better homebrew. Hi, this is John from Grain and Grape. We've been supplying brewers in Australia for 21 years and for all that time we've been working to offer the best service around, including free fortnightly all-grain brewing demos, 90 varieties of malted grain from Belgium, Germany, the US, Britain and Australia, equipment from Browmeisters, Kegerators and Crown Urns to the humble brew in a bag bag, heaps of hops, wide yeast liquid and fermenter St Danstar dried yeast cultures, fresh work kits made at Mountain Goat Brewery and on the 200 litre Browmaster right here in the warehouse. We also sponsor and support brewing clubs and comps, the Australian National Home Brewing Conference, Aussie Home Brewer Forum and heaps more. Mostly though, 100 years of brewing experience means that we can give you the best advice on your next recipe, your new system or that brewing problem that needs a solution. Mention the Brewing Network next time you order online or by phone for freight free on your next order. Check out grainandgrape.com.au for conditions. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Yes, we are. <laughs> Have another joyous time in the studio. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. I think we were answering uh, Q&A questions. And yes. JP, uh, you have another one for us there? I knew you would uh, Sweet jump on man. me before I was ready for you. You jump on me? Or I jump on you? Either way, it works out for me. Uh, this is from Ginger Nick. He says he's been bring strong since 2006. Uh, I've been batch sparging for over a year now, but I sometimes wonder, is fly sparging really where it's at? What does fly sparging have that my batch barge can't offer? Is it a few points in efficiency worth the extra effort of having to constantly check the pH and gravity of my mash runnings? Why are there so many words in this message that can't spell check, doesn't rec- I don't know. what these t- people, <laughs> are, people are trying to be funny in emails. Um, I brew 12 gallons with various gravities often, but can sometimes be off the mark when trying to hit my volume and original gravity. Would fly sparging help alleviate this, and in what ways could it improve the overall quality of my beer? Uh, Jamil, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this or not, but I don't know that fly sparging necessarily improves the quality of the beer. It 
I, I, in my opinion, I think it boils down to convenience um, and effort. Um, I mean, if you've got the equipment to fly sparge, um, and you can just you know set a couple of flow, flow rates and let it sit back and wait for the mash for the boil kettle to fill, you know that's that works great. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't have that sort of capability. Um, you know, when you're in a, in a smaller kitchen or an apartment, um, then, you know, um, a cooler and a, a big pot on the, you know, a couple of pots on the stove, um, batch barging works well in that case. Sure. Yeah. I don't know that I would go out of my way to, uh, get equipment to do fly sparging if, um, you're already set up to batch sparge. Um, I don't think you're going to, it's not going to, let's say, one or the other improves the beer, it's not going to be huge. Um, you know, temperature control on fermentation, and the right amount of yeast, and being able to make starters there, you're talking about real differences in your beer. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that I would like to comment on in his question was he's like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, checking pH and gravity levels. And right. you, you check it like once, or once or twice. And once your brewing process is dialed in, you almost never have to check it again. I mean, you know that your final runnings are, you know, in the right range, and you know your pH is in the right range. And it's, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time on that. So, I mean, that's not really, you know, going to send you one way or the other. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just did an episode for Brewing TV this past weekend where, you know, we had the option of either fly or batch, and I said, well, let's, you know, we've, Let's show people how to do batch with the with a cooler, and you know maybe that hasn't you know people haven't seen that on a video in a while. Um, and the and le- unless we start unless we were to go you know back into a water ganza type show where we started talking about you know pH and so on and and giving a lot of background, um, I think suffice to say that um, batch sparging. Is or or versus fly sparging is not going to really uh, buy you anything in terms of beer quality. It it depends on what what equipment you have available and what kind of space you have. All right, all right, sounds great. This one is from Rob. He says, "I just finished listening to the Staling podcast of Brew Strong, and I have two. I have a two questions. I have a two questions regarding Staling and IPAs. My history buff friends tell me that." People started brewing IPAs because the additional hops would allow the beer to survive the long trip to India. However, since IPAs have a lot of isomerized alpha acids, it would seem like these would stale faster than regular ales. How could these beers last several months in conditions that seem ripe for staling? Hmm. Well, <laughs> the alpha acids, I mean, increased alpha acids aren't going to increase staling necessarily. Or prevent it. Or prevent it. Um, I mean, the the whole thing with the ho- extra hopping was that, you know, some afford some microbial pr- protection for the beer, as does alcohol. So, you know, it's not going to spoil because of those characters on a long voyage. But heat and oxygen will stale the compounds and oxidize the compounds and cause some staling um, character. And, um, 
Yeah, you know, I'm boy. I'm not sure what we said in that Staling show, but uh, you don't remember every show ever. No, I don't. You're and a jerk. people will send me email like, so three minutes and fifty two seconds into uh, the episode on, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, just tell me what I said. Well, you, know? you should just remember everything you've ever said I, ever. Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, <clears throat> you know the issue on Staling. Um, uh, or the issue on IPAs in general is that they're supposed to be a bright, fresh, hoppy beer. And, you know, the longer you keep them, the hops drop out and you do get some stale characters in the malt eventually. And it's much more apparent than in a beer with lots of character malts uh-huh. and then less hops. So okay. that, that's really the, the issue with IPA. Uh well, his second question says, uh, concerns black IPAs. Would the addition of a small amount of dark malt, as in the case of black IPAs, be enough to increase the shelf life of an IPA? I imagine it would probably increase it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Know, it depends on how much you use, but uh, my belief is that those highly killed malts um, do have some antioxidant properties to them, and that uh, can actually help a little bit with... But also with, uh, oxidation. It's an IPA. It shouldn't necessarily have a long. It shouldn't necessarily have a long shelf life, right? Well, well that's what and, he was saying with the shipping and everything. But yeah, but I mean, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of change in hop char- in hop character over the last two hundred years, um, or I guess you know the, the the whole classic IPA thing that was what a hundred years ago, hundred and twenty five years ago, Victorian era, I suppose, but. Um, you know, then um, hops were not stored as well before they went into the beer, mm-hmm. and so the overall hop character of a, of, a, of a beer, and particularly an IPA, was at least a mixture of the beta oxidized beta acids with alpha, remaining alpha acid um, for the bitterness. Right. So, and then and, 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 and you know, heavily hopping the, the yeah, IPA they weren't style. throwing these in freezers or anything. So I mean, right. uh, hop aroma and everything is probably, and you're dealing with oxidized hops probably. Right. Mainly, mainly bittering is what they were getting out of them. I would think. Yeah. So I mean, today when we talk about you know a, a relatively short shelf life for IPAs, you know, we're talking West Coast IPAs. You know, we're we're talking lots of dry hop aroma. Um, you know, and, and, you know, almost a 99% alpha acid kind of bitterness to them, you know, and that will oxidize and change with time. But back then... And the bittering the, drops substantially yeah. pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. So back then, I mean, they were, they were starting from a different point and, uh, you know, the, the, the bitterness character of, the, of those beers was a little, well, was different than... Than what we're kind of looking at today, um, but again to emphasize that you know the point of the extra hops in those casks was not oxidation prevention; it was microbial spoilage prevention. You know, um, uh, lacto and and PDO and all those other bugs, all the other idos. Yeah. Question from the chat from O Dukes. Does how do uh, Jay-Z or John Palmer chill beer in the fermenter without sucking oxygen or star sand into a carboy or bucket? I guess going back to our question in the first break about uh, mm-hmm. not drawing in star sand because your tube is too long. Ah. Don't have a drag in the dirt. 
how do you guys do it? How do you guys prevent star sand and oxygen and all that kind of nonsense from getting into your beer when you uh, when you're cooling? Answers. I want them now. Well, um, <laughs> the the best way is to chill your work down uh, initially to whatever temperature you want before you put in the carboy. Mm-hmm. And then or use the uh, other another kind of airlock that allows bubbling without sucking. Well, and um, I, and I guess you know, and then so the way I would do it is. Chill your wort down. I use that whirlpool chiller, and if I need really cold, I use ice and get it down to whatever temperature and below my fermentation temperature. I put it in the carboy, then I put it in the fridge, and then you know just go up from there. So I never had that problem. And then when it comes time to let's say package the beer up and put it in the fridge and get it to serving temp, you know, you put it in a keg, put it in the fridge, and you got CO two pressure on it, so it's not an issue there. Um, because I never really would ever chill the beer down to settle the yeast out. I'd ferment it with on a rising temperature, hold it steady at the end, let the yeast settle. I'd rack the beer off, and then I'd chill the beer down. So I never really, you know. Yeah, I see. Otherwise, you're pulling in air or you're pulling in, you know, whatever. But, yeah, you can pull in air. As long as you're pulling it. You know, if it's if you're... At the start of fermentation or active fermentation, pulling in a small amount of air isn't isn't that big a deal, and mm-hmm. especially if fermentation hasn't begun yet, pulling some air big deal, not a problem. Well, one aspect to the to the question that he may be asking is that, um, you know, when once you've chilled the wort and you know then you're gonna it's gonna cool down more as you approach your primary fermentation temperature. How do you prevent it from sucking in you know a sanitizer then? Well, um, I'm, I'm kind of in that situation where my with my groundwater temps being you know anywhere from 70 to 80, um, I'm never cooling to my pitching temperature these days unless I just I'm too lazy to hook up a recirculating ice bath. Oh, so lazy bastard. Yeah. So I just uh, you know I I I, rag, I take it you know put it in the carboy or the fermenter and then I put some saran wrap over the top. And uh, stick it in the fridge, you know, overnight with no no uh, blow off tube um, or airlock. I mean, I just it's plugged, and then as it cools the next morning, I you know uncork it. Fish the fish the saran wrap out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I hold on to it so it doesn't go in. But you know, there's a slight preference pressure differential, and it goes boom, and then you know, end of story. And I stick the airlock in and pitch the yeast, and off it goes. So. Just don't use a blow-off tube too early. Well, and even if you do, you know, the blow-off tube, if it's hanging down the length of the carboy, you can pull in air, and it's, it's not pulling in so fast that you get this whooshing, and it's like sucking in dust. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, so I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, if you yeah, just let the blow-off fine. tube hang in the air. Yeah, as long as there's no Bacteria's fruit flies. Bacteria's not going to shoot in there. You know, or fruit flies or ants, you know. And if it's in a fridge, I don't think there's going to be fruit flies or ants. So, and you can hang it in sanitizer, just a you know a little bit of sanitizer, so it doesn't get all sucked up in there, and that's fine too. He means uh, he says, uh, I mean maybe post ferment to drop out the yeast. Oh, I just wait. You know, cold crash. No, I just wait. 
because it'll it'll do it on its own. And but then, let's let's pretend that you didn't wait, that you cold crashed. Well, I wouldn't. I, I, well, then I'd put it in a keg and then apply CO two pressure and then cold crash. Ah, okay. And let it do it in the keg. Otherwise, you're either pulling in air or you're pulling in right. star sand. You're pulling in something. Uh, you bet I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I hope that answers your question there, Dodukes. What do you think? Break time or another question? Well, I think we got to answer the question about uh, what you're going to do in the bedroom. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know it was that time. It's time. Wow. Fellas, gals, you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Hang on. Let me, yes. Let me take my shirt off. <laughs> Rub your nipples. <laughs> Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to AvenEve.com, and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. When you select your one item 50% off, you also get three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, and they'll throw in a free extra gift that is quite sensual. <laughs> it is. You're not supposed to laugh at that point. Uh, it is. Preserve the mood, JP. Come on. Well, that's how my girlfriend, every time she gets in the mood, I laugh because I think it's funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they're going to throw in free shipping on your entire order. So it's a really great deal. You buy one item at 50% off. You type in the offer code J-A-M-I-L, uh, and you're going to get the three free DVDs. You get the free extra gift. You get free shipping, all for buying one item at 50% off. So uh, go, go to adamandeve.com today. Again, use that offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, and uh, you'll get a heck of a deal on, on uh, those products. So check it out. Good, good sponsor. All righty, let's take a short break, and when we come back, We'll wrap up with a few more of your questions after this. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. More Beer is doing it again. It's June, and since More Beer is committed to bringing you the best value, they've already slashed hundreds of prices this year. Now, summer is finally here, and they're focused on draft equipment. You'll find new lower prices on keg parts, taps, towers, faucets, and more. And More Beer has awesome sale prices on complete kegging systems this month. And they're also bringing back an old friend, Scotty's, the new 2.5-gallon keg, along with some cool new draft swag. Join the June draft extravaganza only at More Beer and morebeer.com. Hey Jack, what you doing? Playing Warcraft? No way, it's TBG time, buddy. TBG? Get with it. I'm playing that brewery game. What brewery game? No, that's the name of the site, thatbrewerygame.com. What? Yeah, check it out, man. 
If you've ever brewed beer in your dreams or wish you could mash in right from your desk at work, you can. Kind of. With that brewery game. You can brew up a great batch of beer from anywhere virtually. Then you can sell it because in that brewery game, it's legal to sell your beer to the public, create recipes, brew virtually, upgrade your equipment, upload labels, and test market your brand at thatbrewerygame.com. You still slinging pissed off birds into buildings from your phone? Forget that. Try making beer. Sweet. Register right now for your free account at thatbrewerygame.com. Brew. Drink. Play. ThatBreweryGame.com In a world where everything has been lost. What happened to the city? It's in ruins. Only one man has the ancient knowledge to restore civilization. (sighs) I need a drink. No, the liquor store's been ransacked. You looking for beer, stranger? <laughs> Boy, all the liquor got drunk up in the first 25 minutes of the apocalypse. Wait, there's still some bottles over... Oh, no. Those are non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> I reckon you better stick to arrowroot tea and a desperate nomadic existence like the rest of us. People, I'm a home brewer. I know how to make alcohol. <gasps> Come with me if you want the beer. Okay, I'm going to need some big plastic buckets. He is the chosen one. The prophecies say that he's going to get us wasted. Someone start heating water. And From the creators of Northern Brewer, the people who brought you $7.99 Brew Saver Shipping, massive selection, and superior customer service comes... vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. When you open a vial of White Labs yeast, you're giving your beer its best chance for a perfect fermentation. In addition to their already incredible variety of yeasts, White Labs is proud to announce WLP 90, San Diego's super yeast, now available year-round. WLP 90 is super clean, super fast fermenting, with low esters and has a neutral flavor and aroma profile. It's alcohol tolerant and highly flocculent. For more of the latest White Labs news, click over to whitelabs.com, where you can read reviews of yeast, learn in the lab section, and join the customer club. And if you should find yourself in San Diego, White Labs has a brand new training facility for craft brewers and home brewers alike. Whitelabs.com. Discover yeast, nutrients, enzymes, and more for commercial breweries, home brewers, and homebrew stores. White Labs. It's all in the vial. you get more brewing ingredients yep you know what i love about brewmasters warehouse the 6.99 shipping well yeah but oh the in-store classes for beginning brewers yeah that's cool but oh oh the brew builder creating and saving your recipes online is awesome no i'm yes but the cheese making supplies no oh the wine making supplies Oh, the distilling equipment and liquor flavorings all that stuff is awesome yes but what i really love is that the guy who runs it is totally hot 
And and that Brew Builder software is awesome. Oh yeah. Brewmasters Warehouse brings you flat rate shipping on great equipment and ingredients to make beer, wine, cheese, and spirits at brewmasterswarehouse.com. And if you're in Georgia, stop by Brewmasters Warehouse Monday through Saturday from 10 to 6. Visit brewmasterswarehouse.com today because it's totally hot. Oh yeah. the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. Yes. Just I just to... said a torpedo in a can. <laughs> you and your torpedo in your can. All right. <laughs> I know Paul was all excited about that, Jim. I know. You get it? I guess you guys have, have purposely deleted Four shows, so I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just to delete that. You want to make it a fifth? Yeah, yeah. Keep it up. Okay, we can keep deleting all day long. <laughs> all right, uh, two more questions. Two more questions. One from the chat. One from email. I think this one is from Tito in the chat. Tito. Um, he says, "I have read no. Uh, I've read that you can mix seventy percent percarbonate OxyClean." And 30% sodium metasilicate, which is Red Devil TSP-90. And this will basically give you PBW. What are your thoughts on this? The container of the Red Devil TSP-90 says not to use on glass, but the rumor on the message boards is that at this concentration, it's fine. So is this a cheap way to make homemade PBW, or is this just another bad idea perpetrated by the Internet? Thank you for your help. I've read some of these too, where you like these homemade, you know, PBWs, and I, I actually I know there's like a few people, PBW, a few man. people selling them. But I guess it's like infinitely cheaper than PBW. Uh, yeah, yes. The Red Devil. I, I don't know the chemistry, so I can't comment. Okay. I mean, so it, it's 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 Red Devil, and what's the other? Percarbonate, OxyClean. Yeah, see, but like um, the non-detergent. I guess there's some with detergent in. That's what. That's not what you want. Yeah, but the PBW has all sorts of uh, compounds to help lift the um, material off, and it's it's you know, it's, it's not just those two. Ingredients. Yeah, it's not those two ingredients. <laughs> it doesn't sound. I mean, maybe it works. I don't know, but it, I'd I'd be hesitant to mix what lie with <laughs> something else and. <laughs> I mean, just just doesn't sound like a good idea. I mean, maybe maybe it is. I I don't know. Well, maybe it's not a good idea, but uh, I think there are people doing it though. But I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we would literally have to get you know um, five star on the phone and, and ask them if they were <laughs> doing it. But I mean, is that how you make PBW? Yes, <laughs> yes. We read it on the internet, and so that's how we make it. Um, well, I mean, but you you could you could ask them would, would this combination of chemicals work? Kill me. You know, and they they would answer that question. But then yeah. Yeah. the the tricky question is then does is does it work as well as PBW? And probably not. Right. I don't know. I I can't. I really don't know. And there's, you know, there's people uh, that use, like, bread yeast, expired bread yeast to make their beer. I mean, can you do that? Yeah, and save you a world of money over, like, White Labs or White Yeast. True. And it'll ferment. Absolutely. (laughs) Do I recommend it? No, not really. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. It's not the same thing. Of that, I am... 
pretty much absolutely certain. So, there you go. All right, we have one more uh, from the chat. Tim C.A. says, uh, can you guys outline the process and timeline for going from, say, one or two yeast vials to the proper amount for 11 gallons of 1065 wort? I have a stir plate that can move about 2,000 mils of a starter, a 2,000 mil flask, and a 5,000 mil flask. So how does he go? How does he go from two vials to eleven gallons of wort? Proper pitch rate. Um, yeah, it sounded like uh, just just a wild guess. It depends on how viable the the vials are to start with. Mm-hmm. You're starting with. But I'm guessing if it's ten sixty and eleven gallons, and you got two vials, um, you know, it's probably two vials and like four liters. If he's got a five liter flask. Mm-hmm. And then right. just you know, shake it every hour, and you'll be fine. If your stir plate won't do it, there you go. Should be around that. Great. And that would take you know the standard twenty-four hours, yeah. hours to ferment out thirty-six, right. maybe. Right, and then let it settle for you know a day, because you don't want to pour all that liquid into your uh, your beer. Right. You had somebody that was like, yeah, I had to make this, you know, eight liter starter and, you know, I had this five gallons of 1080 wort, I poured it in there and then it was like, you know, 1060. It's like, well, yeah, don't pour all that. I'd limit your, the amount of starter that you pour into your beer. Don't do more than 5%. 5% is pretty much it. Sounds good to me. There you go. All right. Sounds like a good show to me too. All right. If you're listening Stay live, tuned. just just hang in there. Uh, we're gonna do uh, at least one more, and then Kenya Brut's coming up also at six. So we got lots and lots of good programming entertainment coming your way. And if you'd like to keep supporting that kind of programming excellence, <laughs> you want to check out the BrewingNetwork.com. There's a store there. You go to the store. You can buy some shirts and hats and books and other goodies. You can sign up for Brew Your Own Magazine, where you know 50% of that uh, subscription goes back to the Brewing Network. That's a great deal for the Brewing Network. That's a great deal for you because uh, you get a quality publication in Brew Your Own. Uh, Zymergy Magazine, you can do the same thing. Uh, lots of goodies out there. Lots of stuff that uh, you can do to support the Brewing Network. And, uh, you know, support our sponsors, too. You know, check out BlickmanEngineering.com and uh, tell them how much you appreciate their supporting the show. It uh, makes a big difference. And uh, we'll be seeing you here at NHC in Seattle. John will be seeing you all in Brazil. Uh, That's right. Make sure you uh, come out and, uh, and, and meet us at those events. Don't be shy. Come up say hi. All right. Till then, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everybody. <laughs>